across there. Imagine you are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Three great guests, Damien Hickey, Lindsay Karaleff and Alison Thorne joins us. Well, last Friday, bears from around the country descended on the Laird Hotel. For Mr Australasia Bear 2022, in the studio we have the winner, Damien Hickey. Welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure, Damien. It brought the house down when you were sashed on Friday night. You were elated and so was everyone else. Yes, thank you. It was uh, an absolutely amazing experience, an amazing night, um, something I'm never ever going to forget. So... For listeners who don't know, what is the Mr. Australasia Bear title involved? Uh, that involves uh, a lot of things. So, pro- primarily, oh, I can't speak, sorry. Um, to start with, each state has a, a Mr. Bear competition where they represent their community within their own state for what's 12 months. And then every June, um, Southern Hibernation happens, which is a, a week long um, celebration of all things bear. And it comes to a conclusion with the Mr. Australasia Bear competition. Um, so so the winners of each state come down to Victoria and they put on a beautiful pageant and they um, basically, um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> um, they basically um, put their heart on the line and explain to, to everybody why they want to be Mr. Australasia Bear for the next 12 months. And it's just a giant celebration of everything bear. And, and the, the, the title itself comes with... Um, a beautiful platform to um, donate to charity and work within the community and and all things bear. I'm loving the sash that you're wearing. Thank you. Just a quick shout out to Moose Knuckle Leather who made it over in Perth. Um, Moose Knuckle Leather is their socials, so get on that and get some great great leather items from them. So tell us about, you know, the kinds of experiences that you shared with the judges about yourself to win the title. Um, so I, I dove deep and, and really spoke from the heart and really honestly about my past. Um, when I was 18, I made some really poor decisions and I got involved with ice and I um, was addicted to ice for 15 years and subsequently to that resulted in me being in prison. Um, and the final time that I was in prison, I, I really woke up to myself. I said, I can't keep coming back to prison. I can't keep putting my family through this. And it's time to make a change. So I spent 12 months um, at Ravenhall Correctional Centre. And in that time, I really worked on myself and, and addressing my own demons. And it got to a point where I was able to mentor new prisoners coming into the prison, letting them know basically what the prison rules were, when they get their laundry done, when they order stuff from the canteen, how to make phone calls, all that kind of thing, um, which then led on to me becoming a peer educator And subsequent to that, um, I created the first gay support group in Victorian prisons. Um, Once I was released from prison, I spent a year just living, reconnecting with my family. Um, I didn't go out much. I didn't have much of a social life. But when I finally did rejoin the community, I met the bears and I felt like home. So these people were my people. So I dived straight in. And it really is a very inclusive culture. What an amazing story and what a great testament to you that you are able to go on that journey and uh, transform your life so brilliantly. Thank you. Um, It's hard. It's hard. It's hard even to this day, but I know that I'm on the right path. So... And having those community connections must really help. Oh, definitely. Um, Being somebody who has been severely addicted to drugs and someone who has been to prison, when you do get released, you do feel very alone. And when I met um, the the bears at the lead for the first time, my story wasn't an issue. Uh, There was no judgment. There was, it was just like, let's get a beer. Like, talk to me, talk to us about it. Tell us, tell us your story. Um, Absolutely no judgment. And that's what I absolutely love is because we are just so willing to let the past be the past and let's create a great future together. What a great story to be like, you know, an inspiration to other people when you go out connecting with community organisations as Mr. Australasia Bear. And I presume that you're really going to be working with people on the margins. Uh, yeah. So my my plan for um, my platform that I have for the next 12 months is to really create a more diverse community within the Bear community and, and the greater gay community itself. I really want to um, raise... Um, the diversity and representation of our community and really get the members of our community, each and every one of them, out in the public eye because currently the representation that's being held isn't to the standard of what or who is in our community. 
Um, and I feel like there's a lot more inclusivity that needs to be brought to the front. So what's the golf? Tell us a bit about that golf between the reality and what it should be. So stereotypically bears are larger men, hairy, big beards, um, and that's not the case. Um, a lot of people identify as a bear and they're not the bigger size. They're not very hairy, but they identify as a bear because when you identify as a bear, you identify with brotherhood and love and family, respect and honour. And I want to bring that to the front. I also want to bring to the front our trans bear community and our bears of colour because media and advertising whitewash everything. So I want to bring forward everybody that's in our community because when you see yourself represented in advertising or social media, you go, that person looks like me. And I recognize that and I want to be a part of that community. So I want to really work on bringing the diversity to our community. And really challenging stereotypes Correct. around body image. Correct. Um, I love my body. I'm a bit of a bigger boy. Um, and it took me until meeting other bears to go, you know what? I'm happy with this. I love myself. I look at myself in the mirror and go, you got it, baby. And I want to bring that to, to everybody to feel that way, that they can look at themselves in the mirror and go, you got this. So it really sounds like you're going to show great leadership in the role. It's so exciting. I, I hope so. I really hope to do our community proud, and I really hope to, to do that at a higher standard. Now, one thing I found fascinating about you is your love for music and your love for musical instruments. And there's a great photo that you sent me of you with an instrument that's an enormous piece of brass. Tell us about that. Um, I play the tuba and I'm part of the Melbourne Rainbow Band. I've been playing the tuba since I was in year seven. So that was back in 1998. Um, I just love playing my tuba. It is my happy place. I love playing and part of a big band. Um, for my talent round as part of the, the competition, I played Let It Go on the sousaphone um, with some LED lights and some confetti cannons, which apparently brought the house down. Um, but no, playing the tubo is just one of my favourite things to do. And how have your friends and family reacted to you being Sash, Mr. Australasia Bear 2022? Um, it still hasn't sunk in for myself, um, but I just the messages of support and just the messages of like how proud everyone is that... Someone that has come from such a turbulent past can really turn themselves around. And if I can do it, then anybody can do it. And uh, that's one of the messages that I'll be like pushing as well. If anyone, if anyone can do it, I did it. Anyone else can do it. There was a great photo of when it was announced that you were the winner that you posted on Facebook. First of all, who took that photo? You know the one? <laughs> um, that was our photographer the evening. and The name has completely escaped me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it was a brilliant photo because it really captured the elation of the entire pub, you know? Like yeah. there, were, there were arms in the air and there were about, you know, half a dozen people like in the frame, you know, and you could see their faces. And it was just an amazing, like it was pretty clear something special just happened um so the other members that were on stage were tim from perth paul from queensland and adam from um, new south wales so shout out to the perth bears the bris bears and the harbour city bears um just uh, we all did so well it it was anybody's anybody's race and i'll be honest standing on the stage i thought this is going to go to another person and when they said my name i was just absolutely overwhelmed with pride and shocked and just all of the emotions all at once. Um, but no, I think it's a great photo, even if I'm like covering my face in shock, just to see the support from the other boys was just so heartwarming. What I love as well is you're going to be working with Mr. Australasia Bear 2021, who held the title for four days yes. because the pageant last year was shut down because of COVID. That's, That's right. kind of a new precedent, isn't it? Yeah, so I, this is sort of the first year that there's a dual sort of winner. Um, Mitchell from Perth is an amazing person, and um, I just can't wait to work with them for the next 12 months um, together. We're going to do some really good things. So tell us about the first community organisation you're going to get involved with. I imagine there'll be some LGBTIQ ones that we all, that we all know about, perhaps Thorn Harbour, perhaps another one. Can you tell us? So there's a, there's a project that's under the way at the moment. Um, it's, it's sort of the, the worst kept, best kept secret sort of thing. Um, so as part of my reign, I, I, I need to do some charity work, which is fantastic. And the charity or organization that I've chosen for my reign is Minus 18. So back when I was a young, young boy back in high school, 
I used to attend all the minus eighteen parties that was there. Made great connections with people all over the all over the state, um, and to know that I wasn't the only person going through whatever I was going through really put my mind at ease. So, for my my charity, um, I've chosen minus eighteen, and we're making a calendar that represents all things bear. Fantastic! So you're really working with young people. Um, we are working for young people. Yeah, um, so a, a portion of the proceeds will go towards Minus 18, um, and hopefully in the future, the Vic Bears, because I'm a member of the Vic Bears as well, um, we can work with Minus 18 to maybe volunteer for some of their events or, or be a present there or, or, or work with them. So tell us about Vic Bears. Uh, Vic Bears is a social club for Victorian bears. Um, if you identify as a bear, like I said, you don't necessarily have to fit the stereotype, cut a, cut a cookie cutter mould. Um, but it's a social club that we have a den night once a month. We have an, an aqua bear um, day, which is the first Sunday of every month where we head over to Richmond pools um, and we do like water aerobics and it's a lot of fun. So watch the socials for that. Um, and the Vic Bears are just a really nice tight knit community that welcome everybody and anybody um, into their space. Um, whether you identify as a bear, you are a cub, an otter, uh, all of the adjacent stuff. Um, yeah. It must look amazing having the bears all doing water aerobics together. <laughs> well, you can only normally see from the neck up. So <laughs> no, but I've, I've done it a couple of times and it's, it's a really good workout. Well, Damien, congratulations for winning Mr. Australasia Bear 2022. We must have you back in the studio yes. as your reign progresses. Thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I woke up with your name on my lips. I woke up with your lips on my imagination.
Joanne there with her classic Jackie. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Joined by community treasure, Lindsay Karalev. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Oh, thank you, James. Thank you. I always love my introductions, you know, to hear what people are going to come up with next, but I like that. Well, you are a community treasure. Uh, You're a Bent TV legend, and you were back on Channel 31 last Friday. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was. It came a bit as a bit of a surprise, actually, because I always said, no, I'm never doing anything like that again, you know. And, and for me, it's a bit, of, a bit about relevance as well. Like, uh, our era, like, has sort of passed. So, really, what can I contribute? So, I had to sort of wreck my brain and go back in time to the Trisha's days because um, Lance asked me about Trisha's and, and things like that. And it was sort of, um, look, I have to admit, it was nice, actually, to to be back on air. And, and, um, and I think it was a good interview, actually. I think Lance and... Um, Oh, golly, I can't remember her co-host now. now. Um, anyway, whoever. Um, yeah, it was good. It was fun. I enjoyed it. You really don't think your time has passed. I mean, people just love you. Oh, stop. Well, it has really because, you know, I'm very proudly a baby boomer and, and you just hear everybody switch off then. But um, I know you were like, we've put in our fight, you know what I mean? And it's sort of up to the younger generation now. Of course, we're always there. We're, we're still fighting for LGBT what is it, QA, et cetera, right? But, yeah, you know, you know, who wants to see a you know, chubby old Lezo on their TV screens now? I don't know. I think lots of people do. It sounds like you're surrendering to ageism. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not, not surrendering as much as being a little bit more aware of it, I think. <laughs> so you were on Bent TV for so long. Tell us about your time on Bent TV. Um, honestly, James, it was one of the most brilliant times in my life. I personally, I learned an awful lot about people, especially about gay people. I learned, um, I learned why people join community groups and, and honestly, the reasons are many. Um, and during my time at Ben TV, we had a fantastic volunteer base and we were producing, I think, two and a half hours of TV every Monday night. Now, you know, back in the analogue days, that was really hard work. It used to take something like 24 hours to render a half-hour show. So, you know, you'd be sitting there, you know, 24-7, you know, editing and stuff like that. And Channel 31, although I can't remember, it was probably only about, oh, maybe 10 years old or something, it was, it was still going through its own growth period, you know, its own learning curve, so to speak. So we were also of learning together but um and i can say that you know even to this day like the volunteers now that when i bump into them they say to me that back then they had no idea what they were doing and one of my um i don't know sort of something that i really loved was knowing that on a monday night some homophobe could be out there you know surfing through the channels see our fabulous show and watch for a minute and then see that it was gay and just switch off but you know the glory is there that we actually got into their lounge room and they actually watched us. So politically, I think Bent TV did an awful lot. I think we did an awful lot for rights as well. And, um, and we produced some fantastic tally in that time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you did so much for lesbian visibility at a time when, you know, lesbians were not, outwardly anyway, on primetime TV. No, no, they weren't. And, um, and I, I was actually the only one I found out from a friend who worked in media. And, um, and like, Ben TV had a reach. Like, we were, oh, look, in the, on the early days, or sorry, in the early days, um, what was it, Optus Vision? And they had a community station. It just it didn't work for them. But people in Queensland were getting Bent TV. So, um, you know, I know kids, I've met kids that, you know, in that era that were still at high school, had a TV in their bedroom. Um, they were watching us in their bedroom and, you know, it was helping them to come out. So, you know, I, I think Bent TV did an awful lot. And, and you know, and the kids just don't get the recognition for it. It's amazing that so many years later you found out that you were the first out lesbian, you know, that had yeah. a primetime TV show. Uh, it's yeah. amazing. If something like that happened now because of social media, you know, people would know within a matter of minutes. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and look, I get a, a little bit annoyed because, you know, look, not only for me, but there was, you know, we were all out. You know, everybody on Channel 30 on Bent TV was out and they never, ever got the recognition. And I understand, like, you know, um, like the Rebel Wilsons, you know, they're very famous, they're very talented. And when they come out or they have a girlfriend or, you know, they throw up their morning's toast, it becomes really big news. And, and we, you know, and these kids just never got the kudos. And, and that saddens me because, and a couple of times too on the, on the social media, I have actually mentioned, you know, that, you know, okay, someone's come out. But at the same time, I was working with kids that were really putting themselves at, at some risk, being young, gay and on TV. So... But as far as I go, sort of being the most out um, lesbian on TV at that stage, it's a cap I wear rather proudly. And so you should, because, you know, for so many people, it was a big risk, not just in terms of like the fact that they were outing themselves and the safety issues associated with that, but, you know, being out as a media person kind of killed so many careers, didn't it? Oh, it has. And look, no doubt it still will, you know, and especially now that, you know, you can be, you know, having a snog with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and someone's filming it and you're not out. You know what I mean? It's, it's a totally different dynamic these days. And sometimes I don't think it's a healthy dynamic because, you know, I'm a firm believer that people need to come out when they're comfortable. And I think the, the best um, example there would be somebody like Ian Thorpe. You know, he really struggled with that. And then he comes out and people say, oh, well, he should have come out earlier, blah, blah, blah. You know, Think about yourself and your coming out and then think about the other community workers out there that have really pushed themselves out there to, to do the best for the community. And you are putting yourself at risk. Or, you know, back in those days, more risk than what they are now. A couple of years ago, you told me that you'd never actually watched a tape of you on TV. Is that still the case? It still is. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. Why not? Um, no, I just don't want to know. It's sort of, I just don't want to know. Actually, there was one case when we did our first um, live to air at Ben TV, and we actually used, um, oh, God, uh, the RMIT studios, and we went to the exchange for a drink afterwards, and I actually caught glimpses, and I just went, oh, my God, no, I'm never looking at this again. But, um, no, no, I've never watched. I, I just, um, I live in fear. If you ever want to sort of scare me to death or torture me, just put me down a couple of old tapes of me and I'm a goner. <laughs> Do you think that was your winning strategy though, you know, that, that that's why it was so good because it was very much about you being in the moment without that pressure of, oh my God, you know, I've got to do this and that. You just lived it. Yeah, yeah, I think I did, James, actually. And I, and, and it was that thing, look, I'm, I'm not saying that I was so confident or anything like that, but, you know, there were nights that, especially after squeal, I'd go home and think, what the hell have I said? Are we going to be sued? You know, because sometimes we went very close to the line. But one of the great things about squeal is we knew how far we could push the envelope, and then a couple of shows later we'd push it a little bit further. But, it, you know, it doesn't mean to say that I'd go out for, you know, dinner after a shoot or something like that and my fork was shaking on the plate. Did you ever light the switchboard up at 31? Oh, yes, many times, many times. But see, when um, the show went to air, um, there was nobody in the office because it, I think we kicked off at something like 8 o'clock on a Monday night. And um, but we'd go into the office and the answering, you know, the oldie world, the answering machine would be full. Ch- sometimes Channel 31, their, um, you know, voicemail would be full because of things that we'd said. And, you know, there was one person one night, we had a, um, a guy come in, this beautiful young man, and he was doing our makeup and he arrived late and people actually rang in and said, you know, was I asked if I was okay because the first half of the show they noticed I wasn't wearing makeup and the next part of the show I was wearing makeup. <laughs> You know, was I, did I have a fever or something like that? So it was great to get any sort of feedback. But, yeah, many times we lit it up. And that's fantastic because, you know, they obviously really cared about the show and they were obviously watching pretty regularly. Well, you know, amazingly, it, our audience was predominantly straight. Wow. Why do you yeah. think that was? Um, I don't know. I think... 
You know, look, the wonder of all this is is that people still to this day will stop me on the street and have a chat. I thought that it was all forgotten and gone. But one woman said to me that she used to watch Bent TV. She found out about Bent TV and she used to watch it because she had a son who was coming out and really struggling with it. He wouldn't watch Bent TV because he was a little bit uncomfortable, but she would watch. And she said she learnt so much. And, you know, and one of my favourite shows was when, um, oh, look, I can't remember, it was some article that was floating around and you know we were accused of being really different blah 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 and our comment was basically yeah we're really different we get up in the morning we have a shower we've got kids they have to be fed put off to school you know our lives are not much different except we're same sex attracted and that and that night you know like everything went off we got mail it was amazing the response we had from that so basically our um our audience was straight people tuning in. Like, there were builders. There was one group that were builders that would meet on a Monday night to watch Bent TV. I mean, there's, you know, big ochre blokes, and they're watching us on telly. So our reach, I guess, was amazing, but it was still the straight people, and they watched it for so many different reasons. And I guess that just shows the mystique about being gay or lesbian or queer back mm. then that doesn't so much, you know, exist now. It was a more kind of edgy, radical thing to be, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And like, you know, when I was very, very young and, um, you know, in the 70s and going out, you know, I think it was about 14 or something, you felt sort of special, you know, because, oh, here I am, I'm, you know, gay, I'm coming out and, you know, I'm going to Spangles and Jan's dances and God knows where else. And and it was, you know, and I was, I've always been really upfront. If I don't go into it, I never used to go into any new position and, you know, like a screaming lesbian, hey, I'm gay. But if somebody asked me, of course, I'd tell them the truth. So it was up to them how they responded. And, and, you know, it's like some of the questions I've been asked about being gay. And in the end, I just take the staff out to a nightclub, a gay nightclub, and let them sort it out from there. You must have interviewed some great legends of the Melbourne queer entertainment scene in your time on 31. Oh, God, you know, and I can't remember. No, the one I remember most is, um, of course, Richard Morrison, um, Jenny Pineapple. Um, we interviewed a guy that was... Um, the curator for a London queer art festival. Um, like, yeah, like I couldn't. I'd have to sit down and really wreck my brain. But honestly, and around midsummer time as well, um, there'd be so many queer artists that we'd interview. We'd get down to the lead and film the art show at the lead and interview women, of course, that were allowed into the lead to get their response. But many, many, many James. And of course, you know, that was at a time when there were lots of queer venues. You know, the community revolved largely around venues, and that's not the case anymore. No, it's not. And it's, look, it's really sad because I, I really hope that young gay people, you know, you know, GLBT, if I just use the, you know, terminology gay, it's everybody. But like when I was young, we, every night of the week I was out, every night, like, you know, Tuesday night was the only non-gay night when we went to the movies because it was cheap Tuesday. But there were venues, there was, you know, um, there were women's venues open on a Thursday night. There were mixed venues on the weekend. And then I, and I think social media has really killed a lot of this and I noticed things changing in the 90s you know like I always say that the music died at Mardi Gras 1993 because after that it became you know um, very heavy sort of hip-hop rap things like that that I just don't relate to I just have no idea it doesn't agree with the beat of my heart or something but and now I just I hope that these kids are having as much fun as we do because you know there's just nothing around like if I Somebody asked me, you know, take me to a lesbian venue. I said, I don't know if one exists anymore. And, and that's what it's like. Well, you manage the iconic Glasshouse Hotel as well. Um, and so that must be really sad for you to think, oh, my God, are there any lesbian venues around? I mean, I think it's sad. I used to love going to the Glasshouse. Um, yeah. You know, and you must have gone to the Kingston Hotel in Richmond in the 80s as well. Oh, God, yes. I sort of, I used to sort of avoid those places because the, um, like, well, I actually had a, I actually had a partner a few, oh, quite a few years ago now. And on Friday nights, um, she worked at Melbourne Uni. So Friday nights, we'd go to Ligon Street for something to eat. And then we'd go to the Kingston. And because we were both sort of corporate, I guess, we'd turn up in our corporate gear. And every Friday night, James, we were the new girls. Nobody came near us. Nobody wanted to speak to us. And in the end, we just thought, oh, no, we're not doing this anymore. But um, I've seen some rather horrific things happen at the Kingston Hotel, but they were never really my venues. Like in actual fact, I used to find some 
um, dyke venues really intimidating because some of those girls were a bit rough and um, and they like I've seen um, uh, billiard cues go across the the bar and all sorts of things happen at the Kingston and there there was a cook there and on Saturday nights I used to go there regularly with a friend of mine because the cook was fantastic we'd have something to eat and then sort of scurry through the fights on the way out I mean you did make the glass house your own you were the manager for six months um do you really wish it would come back I mean I think so many people do look I think I think what um, lesbians need and also, you know, I'm including trans and, you know, non-binary, etc. Um, that still identify as women or lesbian or something. I mean, you've got to watch all this these days. I don't mean to offend anybody. But what we really need is a venue that's a pub or a building where it's a safe space, you know, there's a reading room, there's a little venue, there's a little cafe. You know what I mean? Just somewhere where young gay women can feel incredibly safe because there's nowhere for them to feel safe and that's probably my major concern is that the lesbian venues were they were a safe place they're a place where guys would not get in like i had an open door policy at the glass house but at the same time if you were going you came in and you misbehaved you were out never to return and that's what i think you know especially younger women now and especially when they're trying to come to grips with being non-binary you know gender fluid and things like that a safe space is absolutely required. And honestly, if I won Tats Lotto, that's, that would be one thing that I would do. Lindsay, finally, after returning to TV last Friday on 31, did you get the taste for going back? Can we see you making a pitch to return to Bent TV? Oh, no, I don't think so. No, I just, um, look, it was good to do that. And look, I've got a few, always got a few ideas in my head. Like one of the things I would love to do is have a panel like we had at Squeal, but, you know, have, you know, mix that panel up every, every week and have like young gay people who identify as gay males, um, young people who identify as non-binary, old, you know, like baby boomers, things like that, and get a really broad cross-section of our community as it is now and run Run it like squeal and talk about what's going on. You know what I mean? Things like that that really need to be spoken about and actually, you know, sort of hit the youth of today so that when they're sitting in their bedroom or on their laptop watching, they, they know where to go. They, there's something out there. So, yeah, if I won, if I won a, a shitload of money, that's what I'd do. <laughs> Lindsay Carroll, always, always superb to chat with you on 3CR. Thank you so much. It's always a great pleasure and honour to have you on the show. Oh, great. Thank you, James. And you take good care. Cheers. Okay, cheers for now. The wonderful Lindsay Carroll there. You are an in-your-face on 3CR, and here's Taylor Swift. I was riding shotgun with my hair undone in the front seat of his car. He's got a one-hand bail on the steering wheel, the other on my
Swift there, our song, You Are an In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, on Sunday, Radical Women and the Freedom Socialist Party are hosting a Stonewall celebration, LGBTQIA plus oppression and resistance across Africa. On the line, we have community legend Alison Thorne. Alison, welcome to the show. Thank you, James. It's so great to have you on board. Tell us about your wonderful event. Well, it is indeed going to be a, a wonderful event. Um, we have uh, a terrific panel of speakers. Uh, Nita Akoko is one of our speakers, and she's a, a socialist feminist and a trade unionist from Kenya, and she's collaborating uh, with queer Kenyans on putting together her presentation. Uh, Georgie Hoadley from Radical Women is our chair, and they are going to be giving an inspiring tribute to Stonewall to kick things off. And uh, I'm the third panellist, and I found it absolutely fascinating to research this topic. Really, James, I learnt so much. Yeah, tell us about some of the things you learned because there's a huge queer culture in Africa and they really are fighting for their rights. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And I think um, one of the things that I found most interesting is that when the LGBTIQ plus community stand up and resist, homophobes try to say that homosexuality, same-sex attraction, any kind of uh, gender that's pushing back against the gender binary is somehow um, decadent Western influence. Um, But dig a little bit below the surface and what we, in fact, uh, end up finding is that what was imported was homophobia and transphobia. And this is what I actually um, found uh, really, really fascinating, that there are, unfortunately, 34 countries in Africa where homosexuality is still criminalised, but the laws that are actually in place, they're they're imports. They were actually brought to the continent by the colonisers and... um, What is so interesting is looking at pre-colonisation African societies. And, of course, there's a lot of diversity across the African continent. But there's the most incredible um, richness of um, gender that, um, you know, is not... um, stuck within the confines of the gender binary and same-sex attraction. There's so, so much evidence. So um, just to give a few examples, um, uh, amongst um, the the Igbo people, and the Igbo people um, are from Nigeria, um, sex and gender um, is something that didn't coincide at all. And the Igbo and Yoruba people didn't, assigned gender to babies at birth. Instead, they actually took a more evolutionary approach. Right throughout um, the languages of the continent, um, there is evidence um, of um, uh, terminology uh, that makes clear that 
same-sex attraction was, you know, like very much um, a part of the culture. Uh, in Angola and Namibia, for example, same-sex eroticism was thought to have magical powers and encourage bountiful crops and, and good health. So there are just um, many, many examples. And um, a fantastic book that I came across that I would um, really recommend um, is edited um, by the wonderful author um, Will Roscoe, who has done a heap, heap, heap um, of work. And his book's actually called Boy Wives and Female Husbands, Studies in African Homosexualities. And I'd really recommend that for people interested um, in pre-private property societies. Um, but um, the resistance that's going on today is also something that's very inspiring. Absolutely. And I wish some mainstream politicians would take heed of um, of your event. I think they would learn something uh, because so much about the gender binary, you know, is, is, you know, it's been lost, hasn't it, about gender diversity? You know, it's not a new thing. It's an old thing. It's been around since, you know, forever. Uh, and we really have so much to learn that's been lost or overlooked. That's it. That's it. Uh, you know, like it, it, it really... Um, has been overlooked and uh, all of the isms that exist in our society, sexism and racism, the homophobia, the transphobia, none of these things um, are natural. None of these things are inevitable. And it's the economic systems that actually use, uh, use these things. Alison, as a long-time activist, were you shocked about the homophobia and the, particularly the transphobia uh, that was evident during the election campaign? Well, like, I can't say that I was actually um, shocked, um, but, like, I was, I was angered. Um, yes, like, it was, uh, like, really pretty bad, the, like... <laughs> Trans people should not have had to endure Catherine Deeds. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about Radical Women because it's an incredibly inclusive organisation and it's hosting your wonderful Stonewall celebration along with the Freedom Socialist uh, Party. Yes, we are indeed. We're both um, socialist feminist organisations. Uh, Radical Women is a socialist feminist women's leadership organisation and the Freedom Socialist Party is a socialist feminist political party. And um, we celebrate uh, Stonewall every year. We see it um, as an enormously important event and we always look for um, something different and interesting to, to to do for Stonewall. Uh, and the reason why we actually like to celebrate Stonewall is because of what it represents. It represents LGBTIQ plus people fighting for complete liberation. And that's something um, that we really want to see back on the agenda. And... I think the thing um, that got me particularly interested in looking at uh, LGBTIQA plus oppression and resistance across Africa was when I was in Seattle um, pre-pandemic in 2019 for a, a Freedom Socialist Party convention. And I went to an exhibition at the Seattle Art Museum and I was absolutely blown away. This exhibition was titled Hail the Dark Lioness, and it was by a South African visual artist called Zanelli Moholy. And um, Moholy uses they-them pronouns, and they say that their mission is to rewrite a black, queer, trans visual history of South Africa for the world to know of our resistance and existence 
at the height of hate crimes in South Africa and beyond. And seeing that exhibition really got me interested um, in finding out more um, about gay resistance across the, the, the African continent. And it, like it's something that goes uh, right across the spectrum from the big, bold and flashy that we would recognise, the pride marches that are taking place um, in big cities um, in South Africa um, to little events um, for pride that are basically being um, organised underground. And in um, my report, I'm going to be doing a bit of a comparison between um, South Africa and Uganda, that South Africa is the country in the continent that has uh, the most rights on paper, but yet um, homophobia and transphobia are still very much um, entrenched in the culture and the fight is something that very much um, needs to happen. Uh, whereas um, in Uganda, like it is um, a huge struggle um, that is happening there, but there are incredible... Um, bold pioneers who are um, part of a group called SMUG, the Sexual Minorities of Uganda group, who are doing amazing organising in the most difficult circumstances. And that group um, has lost two of its leading members um, murdered by homophobes, um, one in... Um, 2011 um, and one more recently. So people coming out um, and organising in that kind of circumstance, they're they're so brave, they're so bold, they're so determined um, and they really need our support. Alison, it's a wonderful event, Stonewall Celebration, LGBTQIA oppression and resistance across Africa. Give us those details so people can rock along. It is coming up uh, this Sunday, the 26th of June. It's 4pm. It is at Solidarity Salon. Solidarity Salon is 580 Sydney Road, Brunswick. Um, So people um, can get there by tram, train. There's plenty of parking um, at the rear. And um, there's no charge to attend the event. Um, but it is a fundraiser for the Freedom Socialists and Freedom Socialist organisers. So we're asking people to bring along a donation um, to chip in. And after the event, we're going to be serving a luscious um, African banquet dinner, um, catering for all tastes, including those who like a bit of meat, vegetarians and vegans. Um, and people can also um, check out the fabulous Pride Month sale um, that is happening at the Solidarity Salon bookstore. We have our awesome T-shirts that say Stonewall was a riot. Now we need a revolution reduced for the month of May only to $15. So you can't beat that. Awesome stuff. Alison Thorne, thank you so much for your support of the show. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for your interest, James. Bye-bye. The wonderful Alison Thorne there. I'm out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rave. Taking us out is Lloyd Cole. We'll catch you next week on your face.
face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.